Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everybody, to a Baseball America College podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt in studio, I am John Manuel, reminding you of the Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECSports.com to learn more about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbett and more on ATECSports.com. ATEC win every practice. Aaron, it's great to have you here in the podcast nook. It's an exciting change. It's great to be here, Johnny, and I'm sure our listeners will enjoy the, uh, the extra quality of this week's podcast now that we're, uh, we're in person here. We're in person. We've, we've gotten the official... Uh, Thumbs up from J.J. Cooper, our engineer and producer. And uh, we've got the 64-team field in hand, Aaron. Uh, that's what brings you here, obviously. Uh, a couple other things, but uh, we're, we're happy that your timing is to have you here for the field of 64. And I'm afraid that we can't go 2009 style on this podcast because, really, Aaron, this college baseball season was just so muddled yeah. and no great team. And the bubble, as we've talked about for weeks, was just so soft, spongy. It's hard to just get bent out of shape over any teams that got in, didn't get in. It really seems like the thing that people have gotten the most bent out of shape about, and I think you and I agree with the most, is Kentucky not being a not, not as Miami being a regional host. Right. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we agree that Miami should not be a regional host. And if push came to shove, the next regional host for us would be. Mississippi State. Is that correct? Yeah, I think we both agree on that. And, and I'll go even a step further than that and say, if even if you wanted to snub both Kentucky and Mississippi State, I'd rather have Vanderbilt hosting than Miami. Yeah, I'd probably rather have Vanderbilt hosting I mean, than Miami. They, they're, they're, they got so hot toward the end of the year. They got so hot. They just have all those quality series wins compared with, I mean, Miami, really, their whole resume is based on four wins against North Carolina, three of them without Colin Moran. Um, you know, I, this is, to me, is the single biggest flaw with this field, which otherwise I thought was quite strong. Well, solid. You know, yeah. I thought it was a very solid field. Uh, you know, and, and before I get to my criticism, I, I yeah. want to say this about the committee, first of all. Yep. Really like the fact that they rewarded the mid-major conferences that had really strong years. Great Missouri point. Valley deserved three bids and got three bids. Yep. Uh, the, uh, the SoCon. Could've, you could have justified four. I'm not saying they deserved four. Yeah. You could have justified Wichita State. Absolutely. You could have justified them getting in as I, well. I would take Wichita State over, over Michigan State. Yeah. Um, you know, but... Uh, similar cases. Yeah, similar cases. Um, SoCon. The, the, the SoCon, right, exactly. I mean, the two teams that tied for the, the uh, regular season title in the SoCon both got in, and I thought that was great. Even after Charleston went 0-2 in the conference tournament, I thought they should be in, and they did. I, I like the fact that the committee put a lot of weight generally on regular season standings, conference champions. Sam Houston State got in. You Indiana know I State, agree with that. Indiana State got in, which is why it's so vexing that, you know, East Carolina and, and Michigan, Michigan State. State got in over, you know, I mean, Wake Forest, which is obviously was not a great year for the conference standings. But, but seventh. They were seventh in the league that had yeah. the number one RPI. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, SEC got eight teams, and ACC got somehow five hosts to just three for the SEC. Um so you'd think that they would have gotten eight teams in as well, considering they had an eighth team that was worthy. 
but uh, they didn't. So that was a surprise. But before we before we get to that, one more thing I'll say about this field. Yeah, let's point out the positives. I like that start. Um, I like the fact that almost every team I thought was seated appropriately. You know, that's a great point, and that's an important point going fo- going forward. With with I think two exceptions. Okay. Uh, well, three exceptions maybe. I mean, I thought East Carolina had no Correct. business being a two seed. Obviously. I, I think we agree on that one. We I agree with you. I didn't think East Carolina should be in the tournament. I, you said that you said they would be. You didn't know they deserved to be. They were basically like your last team in. Yes, they were. And your and your prognostication uh, Sunday night slash Monday morning. They definitely don't deserve to be a two seed. That's a straight RPI pick. Yeah, and and you know what? It's you have to acknowledge that there's probably some politics involved. And I saw that they you have a that and I agree with you. I mean, you know, and there's a history of this now. Look at last year with St. John's, the the big controversial decision. You have to acknowledge. Or the years that uh, the Big 12 the big commissioner 12. was on the. Uh, or, or there when, was when Tim Weiser was the Tim was Weiser the committee was the chairman. He was a. And a we liked him. We, we think do. we think very highly of Tim. But the we years that he was head it. of the committee. Well, even then we liked him personally. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But the years that he was head of the committee, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State got in back-to-back years where it was like, huh, those teams yeah. got in, especially OK State, right. which led, of course, to the pop- podcast outrage of 09. And Baylor. And Baylor. Oh, that's right, Baylor. Uh, yeah, they were very fringy. Yeah, so I mean, yes, yeah, so I, I think it's fair to acknowledge that the members of the committee appear to take care of their appear own. Appear to take care of their own, yes. Uh, but uh, but the teams that, that, I, that I thought were not seated appropriately, I thought New Mexico State was should have been a three, but you know... You needed at, at, at least, yes, you did. But I mean, and at least New Mexico State was a team that was solidly in the field for me. I mean, I don't think they were on the bubble. I Correct. They won their regular season title, uh, conference. They shared it, their conference title. Um, and they, you know, they played t- a strong. Co- uh, oh, they didn't win the tournament. Schedule. Who, who, who was more deserving of a two in your mind, New Mexico or New Mexico State? I thought the case was a little stronger for New Mexico than it was for New Mexico State. You can, you can certainly make that case, and I'm, I don't know if I'd argue with you. I think New Mexico came on really strong. I mean, the difference is. Just the RPI, it wasn't there for them to be a two seed. And just I think that New Mexico won its league yeah. in the regular season and then won the tournament. Yeah. And it's a two bid league. I know the WAC wound up being a two bid league as well, but they uh, were the problem with them is as far as being a uh, a two seed is they they were 57th in the RPI, which okay. puts them really probably would have been outside the bubble this year with the way the committee did it. Um, You're probably right. So I mean, You're it's hard right. to see them as a two. I mean, even though I think they're good enough to be a two, I yeah. think that's a strong. I, I just think them and New Mexico State are just to me. Right. They have very similar cases. It just felt like New Mexico closed faster. Well, the team that I would have taken as a two instead is is Coastal Carolina. I was okay. surprised to yep. see them as a three. I think it's a it's a really strong three. I thought that was the the one thing that would keep Clemson out of the South Carolina regional was that Coastal Carolina was going to be a two and Clemson was going to be a two. When I did my you know, mock bracket and sent it to you last night, I think I, bl- I believe I actually though I had Coastal as a two and Clemson as a three. I just reversed it yeah. in that in that bracket. So to me, that was the surprise. I think you're right that they should have been a two. Yeah, I mean, you know, at least could have been. I mean, they were 39 in the RPI, which puts them outside the the top 32 teams. But at right. the same but some time, some of those teams in that top 32 yes. aren't even in the tournament. Exactly. Yeah, you know, Maryland, for example. Exactly. And secondly. They won. You know, they finished strong. They won their regular season, of course, like they always do, and they won the conference tournament for the sixth straight year. I mean, they, you know, that's a team that that didn't limp into the field right. like Clemson did, for instance. I think Coastal Carolina's won nine straight. Yeah. Look at it this morning. I think they've won nine straight. That so. sounds about right. So, so I'm with you. Was there another two seed that you thought was kind of undeserving of being a two, or another a seed that was off besides maybe Miami? Those were those were the big ones that grabbed me. I mean, I, I would have probably had Stony Brook as a three instead of Kent State. Um, but those were the two teams I was looking at for my last three seed. Um, 
So, you know, I mean, that's that's fine. I'm okay with that. Uh, again, I like Tony Brooks' resume a little bit better, but, uh, you know, that that's that's okay. Um, Michigan State shouldn't have been a, a three. If they were going to be in, they should have been a four, I think. But Well, that's the thing is that Michigan State getting in, it seems like they're the last at-large team that got in. Right. The, uh, I'm pretty sure all the four seeds are uh, automatic berths, automatic qualifiers. So uh, that, to me, right. tells me that, to me, Michigan State's the weakest they have the weakest case, Aaron, and basically their case is they're a northern team that put together a good RPI. That's it. But otherwise, like their best win was what, a win against Purdue? Did they yes. win any games against Texas A&M or did they get swept? No, they got swept. I mean, I, I think the, uh, the the thing that was interesting, I guess, that the, the chairman, Kyle Callender, said was that uh, he several times he referenced the uh, uh, regional advisory committee that they have, and they've got eight coaches around the country, right? And, and he said that they had all the coaches had Michigan State as the second-best team in its region, which is, hey, fine. I mean, on paper, I agree with you. I think Michigan State's the second-best team behind Purdue in that part of the country um, on that's paper. Like, that's like the Baseball America method. That's like the talent method. Which, which is great in the preseason in the first few weeks, but at the end of the season, you have a body of work to go on. You know, yeah. and, and, you if, if they're, and if they're the number two team in that part of the country, why do they finish fifth in their league? Makes no not, sense. It makes no sense. Which is not a super duper league. No, I mean, it's, it's a good not. league. It's a fine league. It's competitive. Uh, Big Ten. I watch games on Big Ten Network. Caliber plays a little bit better than I than I thought it would be. Uh, the last just watching over the last couple of years, and Big Ten teams have made some noise in the postseason. But to me, I made this case. It's almost like uh, you know we are advocates of getting more teams and spraying the game. Yes. So make no bones about that. It's harder to win up north. I've had this going on Twitter today. It's harder to win in Michigan than it is anywhere else. And people are like, why? I don't understand that. Well, look at Kentucky. Kentucky went 22-0 and this year, and they built up a lot of confidence, beating up on teams from the Buffalo area and other teams. And that confidence helps you all year. That's a deep reservoir of, you know, we know how to win games. We can win games. Well, when you play up north, you just can't build that because you're always on the road. And teams that do it, are spectacular. It's special. It's unique. It's, yeah. very, it's like four or five teams a year that can do that. We're looking at some of them in this in Stony Brook. Kent State, but even Kent State, they just basically, ran, both those teams really dominated their conferences. Yep. And the non-conference, they're always in the road. Kent State especially tries to play pretty good teams. And it's just tough to, to keep on winning when you're not playing at home. That's right. And uh, that's the disadvantage for those teams. But when you do that, you also have to, if you're going to play a good schedule, the thing that Michigan State doesn't do, for me, enough, is they just didn't win enough games. So, I mean, I do respect, it's hard to build a 45 RPI in that, in playing in Lansing, Michigan. Right. And their RPI really does stick out from other northern teams. But it feels like that was the only reason they got in. And, you know, again, I'll say it not just because they were fifth place in their league, but there's a difference here between Michigan State being fifth place in its league and East Carolina even being sixth place in Conference USA. That difference is East Carolina was a half game out of second. Right. You know, right. And, and Michigan State, besides being four games out of first, they were three games behind the second-place team and just, two games behind the third-place team. Just take care of business like you wrote the last weekend of the year against Penn State. We don't even have to have this discussion. They're in you, easy if they do that. That's it. They had the opportunity. You know, they had a winnable home series against Penn State, and if they're the second-best team in this region, they need to win that series. Otherwise, I'm not buying it. I'm with you, Aaron, as usual. I'm with you, Aaron. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Um, other thi- other problems, I guess, that we had. Uh, uh, who did you have getting in, I forget, instead of Michigan State, or who do you think Wake should have Forest. gotten in? Wake Forest. I think we agree on that one. I spoke to Coach Walter today. He sounded a little down. Um, it really does feel like 
Aaron, the I guess the things, the biggest things in Wake Forest's case to me is that if you look at their schedule, their road schedule, they, they played a lo- uh, 16 games against one or two seeds on the road. The series at New Mexico State, which is a good series where they win one out of those four one games. Out of four. Then they went on the road against four regional hosts in the league. Yeah. Miami, yeah. NC State, North Carolina, Florida State. Now, one of them shouldn't have been a regional host, but Miami's a regional team. They've gone on the road to all four of those teams. Of course, they lost all four of those series, and they got swept in, what, one or two of them? They got swept by North Carolina State uh, and Virginia. So they lost two of those. They got swept in the two of those series. Yeah, I think I got that wrong. I, th- I said Virginia. I, I don't think I included Virginia. Anyway, they played four regional hosts on the road. The one series that kills them is the Boston College series. Mm-hmm. I really feel like if they'd won that Boston College series, Aaron, they'd gotten into the tournament probably ahead of. Um, if they'd been 15 and 15, say they go on the road and win two out of three, and they were 15 and 15 in the ACC, 16 and 17 when you count their games in the ACC tournament, I feel like they would have gotten in. What do you think? I agree. I mean, it's it's like I think you made this point earlier today. It's like the year that Duke, yeah, uh, 2010 was, Duke, exactly 2010 Duke when they were you know just maybe a win or two shy of being an at-large team. And if they'd won their home series against Wake Forest, as I recall, yeah. who was not good that year, yeah. then they probably get in. They have an even, even conference record. That was they, they would have been 15-15 and yeah. 15 that year, and they lost that series to Wake Forest, which was not a good uh, Wake team. I feel like that was the first year of mm-hmm. the Tom Walter administration uh, in, in Winston-Salem. So this, this makes me feel like... The committee, if, Wake, if if Georgia Tech hadn't won on Sunday, they might not have gotten in because the, the committee made a point of saying ultimately, you know, calendar his, his teleconference said ultimately uh, it w- they couldn't get past 13 and 17 in the ACC. Um, so you know, which raises some other questions. You know, Four, I mean, 14 and 19 when you really look at the, I think you have to include conference tournament games fair. when you do that's that. That's fair. You're right. So uh, you know, ultimately that's what you're really looking at is. Uh, that's just not a team that – I mean, they were five games under 500 in their own league. And they were consistent in that regard with uh, what they did like last year when they left LSU out. But that's where it really does dumbfound you on East Carolina and Michigan State. Exactly. Especially Michigan State. East Carolina, like you pointed out, at least they were only a half game back. Very tightly bunched Conference USA. And how about Conference USA winds up getting, what, four teams? Yeah. East Carolina, no Tulane. I think we kind of knew that Tulane kind of – Made its own bed. Uh, and then I, the, the conference tournament winner, when you have, I, I guess Wake Forest also could look at the fact that no one else in conference USA took care of business. It was Memphis and UAB. Right. And one of those two teams kind of getting in. Let's talk about some of those weekend stories real quick, Aaron, uh, from conference tournaments. I think it's kind of neat that uh, for UAB, uh, for Brian Shoup, that program, for people who don't know, uh, Coach Shoup was at Birmingham Southern, built that program. First of all, made it an NAIA national championship team. Then they went to Division One, and within a couple of years, they were in regionals. You know, Connor Robertson, who wound up in the big leagues, was a freshman on their NAIA national championship team and was a senior in a team that went to regionals. So they did it really quickly. And then that program was turned into a Division Three program. So he leaves, go basically across town to UAB, and it's taken him a while. But UAB, pretty disadvantaged in Conference USA as far as their facilities and just not a real big baseball tradition there. And he's built that program into a, now a team that wins a conference tournament. That's a that's a uh, that's a neat story for me. Agreed. What are some other neat stories, Aaron, in this field of 64, uh, both from the way the field's set up or just teams getting in there that jumped out to you? Yeah, I mean, certainly I'm I'm compelled, uh, as I'm sure we all are, by the the uh, Fullerton Oregon matchup. I yes. Mean, uh, George Horton going against the program that uh, you know he was such a uh, an important part of over the years, and against his former assistant Rick Vanderhoek, and uh, and to me also. 
I, I, I'm fascinated by that matchup because I think those two teams are really mirror images of each other. Absolutely. Um, you know, they're just a little more, a uh, little more pitching, uh, high-end pitching on Oregon's team. Right. A little exactly. bit better arms. Exactly. Pitching the weekend rotation, you know, that's not great. Their arms feel like they're a little bit better. I do feel like I'd rather have. And then I don't think Oregon has a Michael Lorenzen though. Well, I mean, I, Jimmy Shurphy's awfully John Good. Oh, I mean, but I mean in the lineup, too. Oh, right. Oh, certainly. You're right about that. You're yeah, right. Jimmy Shurphy's very good. Those two closers kind of cancel each other out. But I would give Shurphy a slight edge because I think you could extend him more. That's probably true. Good point. But uh, uh, but as far as a dynamic player, yeah. dynamic athlete, they have some good players at Oregon. Sure. It's a good lineup. Sure. Probably a little deeper lineup because they know day-to-day they've got six or seven guys who are going to be there every day. Whereas Vanderhook pretty much, Rick Vanderhook's pretty much a – He's, uh, you just kind of imagine him like at Homer Simpson's console in the nuclear power plant. He's just, I'm not <laughs> saying he's Homer. He's a little bit more competent. But he's just pushing. He's got lots of buttons to push, and he's he pushing them all. And his hands are, his fingers are skinnier than Homer, so he pushes the right button. He, he's got, he's got uh, a lot of weapons at his disposal, though. And I don't mean necessarily high-end weapons, but yeah. he's got a lot of, they do have a lot of depth of guys that are very similar players. Right. I mean, they've got a lot of athletes in the outfield. This team has a lot of team speed. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of smaller players, obviously, right. who are just kind of grinders and nice, scrappy kind of guys. But, you know, both these teams are, like we've talked about this year, I mean, you know, they don't overwhelm you for the most part on the, in any phase. But, but is there a bunt defense that one can run that the other one won't know? I can't imagine that, there's that a bunt defense. That would defense. be fun to watch, wouldn't it? I would like to watch. The, the cat and mouse in that is going to be pretty good. Yeah. Um, there are not a ton of the other storylines, uh, Aaron, at least that I see like that. Uh, I'm fascinated by Oregon State going to Baton Rouge. That's a neat one. I mean, yeah, I, that is. I, I wasn't sure where to stick Oregon State in the, in all of this. I had no idea where they were going to wind up because they were pretty solidly a number two seed. And they had to. I mean, that's the thing is when you're Oregon State, um, and, you know, and Oregon's hosting a regional, you can't go there, so you, right. you're going to have to travel somewhere far away. So, um, yeah, that, I agree with you. I think that's that's compelling. I think um, we have to acknowledge that the, the regional of uh, of Palmetto Apocalypse is uh, is fascinating. <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, I, and, and we talked about Coastal. I think is being a, a strong three seed. To me, they were should. I mean, I had them as a two, but at the same time, Clemson's a softer two seed. I um, thought you could make the case for Clemson as a three. Yeah, you but could. I mean, they they well, in this field they're a two. I don't know who you would push them behind. Uh, probably Coastal for me. Right, but I would have you know. Clemson's still ahead of New Mexico State or East Carolina. Right, so. I, I agree. So they yeah. should be a two, just a soft two. And Coastal, you know, I mean, so you've got basically the, the one of the last twos and one of the top three. So, I mean, Correct. it's okay. It's, Correct. It's not, it's not too disproportionate, but um, that's going to be wild. I mean, I, I think that uh, uh, the atmosphere, you know, in Columbia is going to be insane. They don't need any help with good at college baseball atmosphere in Columbia, yeah. South Carolina. Yeah. They do need help in North Carolina. Aaron, you and I were both at Saturday's uh, ACC tournament game, North Carolina and North Carolina State. That was as good an atmosphere as I've been at at a college baseball game in a while, regular season, postseason, whatever. It was a great uh, event. We have North Carolina hosting a regional that, to me, Aaron, might just be the softest regional. Wherever you stick the bad two is going to be the soft one. But what North Carolina gets, I think, a pretty big break. I thought they would have been a higher national seed than six. I think you actually could flip them in Florida State. I think when you look at body of work and how a team's playing going into it, and North Carolina's only loss in the last three weeks has been to Miami, which is inexplicably has their number. Yeah. I mean, there's some explanation. Miami has a ton of left-handed pitchers. North Carolina's a very left-handed leaning team. But right. um, North Carolina's a better team than Miami, but they've lost to them four times this year. But overall, I think their body of work's a little better than Florida State's. I would have I flipped them myself. Um, they didn't play during the regular season, so we'll never know. 
uh, unless they meet in Omaha, which they you know they would meet in the first round game, I guess. So they're in the same bracket um, if they if they get to Omaha. But I thought that was the easiest regional. Is there a toughest regional that jumps out to you? And I agree with you on that, by the way, especially since uh, you know I think St. John's is a solid number three. Right. Um, but they're right where they belong. They're right where they belong, and and Cornell is um, for me in the in the probably the back half of the four seeds somewhere. I mean, it's a, it's a nice scrappy Cornell team. It's been the best team they've ever had there, but you know it's an Ivy League team. Right. It's scrappy. You don't have any athletic scholarships, and you're going down to Chapel Hill, so not necessarily the most talented one. Yeah. I, I do think that Palmetto one, that's at the the Palmetto Apocalypse, like you said, that's a good regional. I, I forget. I, it's one of them I, that jumped out to me yeah. as the strongest one. I, I think, you know, let me see. I think that the uh, uh, Tallahassee Regional with that's the, the one. Mississippi State as the two seed, uh, SEC champion in, in the tournament. I mean, look, that team's red hot right now. Absolutely. They could have hosted a regional. Um, and they're going to uh, the number three national seed. I mean, I can see why, you know, Bulldog fans are a little upset about that, and, and probably Seminole fans are as well. That's true. But, You're probably uh, right. But, you know, at the same time, I mean, there's, there is a geographic component to this. There always has been. Um, and that's, you know, within the 400-mile radius. And they Florida use. State moving to the Big 12 won't help any of that. They'll still get to get an SEC 2 to Tallahassee every year. That's basically what happens. So uh, it's a little conference exp- uh, conference realignment food just to throw Aaron off his game. Yeah, it did throw me off my game. <laughs> you are not my a, facial expression there. You are not a fan of conference expansion realignment, nor am I. Um, but uh, the, you've got Samford as, a, I think, a team that is – Again, in probably in the back half of three seeds, but still a dangerous three seed. I think I think we both they, like their talent. We like their talent. They played a lot of good teams. They yeah. played a challenging schedule. They're not going to go. They played Florida several times in midweek. They just got done playing Oklahoma in a weekend series where they were they were they challenged Oklahoma. They were one lost lost uh, two out of three, and they sw- I think that that challenge swept them through to the SoCon tournament. I mean, they, they were battle tested, yeah. and they blew a late lead in the championship game against Georgia Southern and rallied to win it anyway. Yeah. So they do have some depth in their bullpen. I, I think Sanford is a dangerous team, and then UAB again, a hot team that just won a conference tournament. So, to me, Florida State, which went 0 and 3 in this conference tournament, playing three league champions, yeah. that stood out to me as a tough one. Um, I kind of like the Virginia regional just for a toughness, just because again, Oklahoma has. Started slowly, but really did figure things out, I think, as the year went on. Um, who knows what they'll do with Damian Magnifico. I don't know if you watched any of the uh, Big 12 championship game. He was all over the place, three batters out. I chatted, I chatted briefly about about that with Sonny Galloway today, actually. And he, okay. he basically, you know, he Magnifico is a kid that uh, can get nervous sometimes. I mean, it's and, a big and wild card. Yeah. They are a wild card team because they have power arms. And they have some experience. Yeah. And they I have agree. a lot of pieces who've been to Omaha, and they, went, and they got there going through Charlottesville. Yeah. Um, but Virginia's a team that really, again, great coaching job by Brian O'Connor. It's not a loaded Virginia team, but they have gradually gotten better and better, and they got a red-hot hitter in Steven Bruno. Right. Um, I like that club. I think App State is a, they are a three. They should be a three. Yep. But any team that goes on the road and wins a series at LSU during the season uh, clearly has the pitching uh, to go somewhere. So, to me, that was a, one of the tougher regionals as well. Uh, I, I thought that generally, Aaron, they were pretty balanced. I just yeah. thought, again, yeah. like I said, North Carolina balanced. got, to me, uh, kind of a cake regional. Um, they also, they, they don't have any teams in that regional, to me, 
like, like St. John's is a good team, but they're not like an overly offensive club. No, they're not. They're not a juggernaut. Right. To me, that's the team that would scare me if I were North Carolina would be a team that's loaded with left-handed pitching or a team that's the, an offensive juggernaut or a team that can really get hot offensively. Like Arizona, potentially, in a Super Regional matchup. Exactly. Now that, 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 could, that could be a, a, a tough one. Uh, we're talking on the Baseball America College podcast, Aaron. What else jumped out to you in this field? I like... Um, the fact that you know Miami, who's I think the weakest, obviously obviously at the one seeds. Right. At least they get the strongest four seed. Stony Brook for me is the strongest four seed. That's a, that you can make a case that's the toughest regional. That's what I was just about to say is because I think UCF is a is a very solid number two seed. Mm-hmm. It wasn't too far out of the hosting discussion. Um, you know probably in the top five or so of the two seeds, top five or six, uh, I would say. Uh, and then Missouri State is, I think, a, a dangerous three seed with their arms. You know, with, with I agree. Pier- if Pierce Johnson is capable of dominating anybody, and they've got Nick Petrie who doesn't ever give runs. And That's the thing. You can you can throw either one of those guys in that first game. You could yeah. throw your big top pro arm in Pierce Johnson and hold Petrie for Miami slash Stony Brook if you want to. But I think that's the most wide-open regional, I guess, because I they have the weakest agree. one. I don't think it's the be- the strongest regional. But to me, the other one that's really wide open is Purdue's regional, Aaron. Because Kentucky is like a box of chocolates. We don't yeah. really know what we're going to get. Right. How left-handed is Purdue's lineup? It feels like it's not. It feels like I it's a bunch of right-handed balanced. hitting matchers, yeah. you know. Um, I've watched them a couple times. It just feels like every time that they had a big hitter come up, it was a right-handed hitter. Uh, but Kent State, very dangerous team that can really pitch. Uh, Valpo, you know, happy to be here. First time since 1968. But a program that's been trending in the right way. Had, what, a second-round pick last year in Kyle Goodell. Right. Ex-big leaguer Tracy Woodson is your manager. Brian Schmack. He used to put the Schmack down as the pitching coach. Well, he was the closer for the Hickory Crawdads when I covered him. So uh, I, I like that regional. As Again, those are the two most wide-open regionals to me. I completely agree with that assessment. I think you're absolutely right. Um, Toughest ones to pick for me. It's gonna be, we aren't going to pick the regionals in this, pro- in this podcast. We'll take a couple of quick Twitter questions here. And a longtime podcast fan, uh, Bill Lamberty, asks, what two or three games, regional games, are you most looking forward to? I, I definitely would put that Fullerton-Oregon matchup, if they play, and obviously they have to win to play. Yeah. Um, I would put that at the top of my list of games I really want to see. I do want to see Stony Brook-Miami, because I'm with you. I think Stony Brook's a very dangerous four seed. Uh would not shock me at all if they if they went ahead and won that. You've got two guys there going at each other who can really pitch. They're pitchability guys, Eric Erickson against yeah. Tyler Johnson. They both... Are, are very accomplished college pitchers, and they're not big-armed guys, but they, they can win. Um, you know, kind of like the Alex Cadell and, and, you know, Dylan Floro, who's got probably a little bit... Floro probably is the best stuff of this whole group if we're talking about these these two matchups, but they're all competitive. Boy, that's not a great match. That's not, that's not great stuff either. No. This is a, the upper 80s uh, year in hey, college baseball. there's a ton of guys in college baseball this that's year right. that are just, you know, mid to upper 80s and winners, and, you know, it's uh, you, you can win a lot of games nowadays, as we've talked about before with the bats, but um, but I agree with you. That, that, but that's why one reason I'm so compelled by Carlos Redon against Vanderbilt Potentially. Great pickup. Because I was going to say, I, I'm actually not as compelled by the South Carolina-Clemson one because, frankly, that's just almost like played out. We see that every year. Yeah. It's a great rivalry. Yeah. It'll be good for college baseball. Th- to me, rivalry games are better when the games re- teams are evenly matched. South Carolina is clearly better than Clemson. Yeah. They just are. They are. Clemson fans, I, I think they know these things. South Carolina is better. It's a better program. It's been better for a, basically the last decade. And I mean, back-to-back national championships yeah. is all you need to say. So. And, and the fact that they've twice done that by taking down a Clemson I'm, team that was, what, 2-0 and to start the Yeah, they did it in 2002 in Omaha. They did it in 2010 in Omaha on their way to the championship. 
So it's yeah, pretty decisive. It's de- it is <laughs> decisive. It's fairly one-sided. It's not Yankees Red Sox pre-2004, but it's not far off of that. Um, but that is pre-2004, as both of us uh, were very happy with the way that reversed in 2004. Um, but yeah, th- go on about Rodon and Vanderbilt because we saw Rodon just about his absolute peak of his powers on Saturday right. against North Carolina. And I don't know what Vanderbilt is going to do with their pitching because they've got a lot of. You know, they've got a lot of really quality arms. Whoever they throw in that game is probably going to be a really good arm, uh, whether it's Selman or Pecoraro. I think I saw a tweet they were going to start off with, with Pecoraro. But yeah. Sam, Sam Selman, Aaron, the guy we've been having as a pick-to-click for three years, basically, is finally finding the groove. He would be tough for NC State because he's got some Kent Emanuel qualities in that he's long and lanky and left-handed, but he throws about eight miles an hour harder yeah. than Kent Emanuel, uh, who's like an 84-89 to 89 joker. Selman's like 91, 95. I don't think, besides being long and lanky and left-handed, that's, it. that's all they have in common. Yeah, I mean, that's it. In the way they approach, Manuel just feels like a touching and feeling. I mean, it's a, he's got such a good feel for... He's so confident. He, he pitches confident. with so much confidence. He pitches, Kent Emanuel pitches like he knows he owns the inside part of the plate. Right. And when he misses his spot, he gets frustrated. Sam Selman pitches like, I'm trying to throw the ball around the inner half of the plate or the outer half, but that's about it. He, he's divided up in the quadrants, but there's no precision there, and he's just learning to pitch. Whereas Kent Emanuel kind of has natural feel to pitch. They mm-hmm. are very, they're very different guys. But I'm just thinking of a pitcher that who's like, I, I mean, left-handed power arm in the ACC. Besides Rodon, who else is who has NC State seen like that? Nobody off the top of my head. Yeah, so I mean, like to me, Vanderbilt. That's a real tough choice of whether to go Pecoraro against you, and you can't look past UNC Wilmington. No, that team is fairly offensive. They, yep. they will put a crooked number on you if you're not careful. So, uh, that's an interesting regional. UNC Wilmington is a good, solid, you know, right in the middle of the three seeds. Uh, but to me, it feels like NC State uh, has to save Rodon for Vanderbilt. Right. Uh, you know, you their whole season is built on that. So, and we did have NC State a couple of years ago, Aaron, at a regional. Were you at this regional where they? Never used Corey Mazzoni, their ace. Or was that a different? Was that I think Jim Schoner might Jim have been Jim Schoner was down there. Or they did save their ace. They kept on saving their ace for the most important game, and they lost their first game. So they went at Stony Brook, right, and didn't use their ace, and wound up not even throwing them the whole weekend. So, um, Aaron, do you have a national championship pick at this point? I'm gonna. St- I'm, I mean, I'm just gonna stick with my preseason pick, Florida. I think they have come back to being, you know. Who they're supposed to be? I mean, it's they're they're healthier on the mound now. Um, I still like their power in the lineup. I love their bullpen. It seems like they're getting healthier, at least in the lineup. Aaron, yeah. as Josh Tobias has come back in the lineup and kind of giving them a little bit of a jolt at the bottom of the lineup. I think you're right. Um, Carson Whitson still not himself. It almost feels like they're going to have to win this without him. They're never going to quite be the team that we thought they were because they don't have this unsigned first round pick shoving it in the middle of the rotation. Right. He's just not that guy right now. Jonathan Crawford's pretty good. That's right. I mean, you get, you get another guy throwing 95. You know, I mean, it's what you, you're not losing a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, for me, I, I actually have I've picked out the whole brackets, but I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna chew it over a little bit, mull it over some more. This is my first look. We bracket. can just we can keep going and make our picks now if you want to. Or oh, is your, I, I don't call? mind doing that. No, I don't mind doing that. I, I'm uh, this is like our first blush, but I, I do want us to still break down the ra- the the the. the, the um, each regional a little bit more. Okay, go we'll, on. we'll we'll come back to. I'll just say I, I have my bracket champions, and I have Florida, and I have North Carolina, and I do feel like I think you pointed out the the fly in the ointment for North Carolina would be as offensive as Arizona can be, but I still think that Arizona's pitching is so iffy and very right-handed, Connor Wade very and uh, very Kurt true. Heyer, 
North Carolina's James very left-handed lineup. I feel like North Carolina's matches up okay with Arizona. I do think that you know Arizona's offensiveness could be a barrier there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have North Carolina. Actually, I think they have a fairly easy role on that side of the bracket. And to me, the big key was I wanted to watch Colin Moran on Saturday and see how he swung the bat. And he was swinging the bat against uh, Carlos Rodon. He was one for thirteen in the S- in the ACC tournament up to a point. I think he only had two hits in the whole event. But he wound up – I thought he had good at-bats against Carlos Rodon. I thought he was seeing the ball well. His timing improved throughout just that game. Uh, he s- struck out in the first inning, just missed an RBI single uh, when he was robbed by Chris Diaz. He started the rally with a, with a single in the 12th inning that won the game. He had a line drive to center field for an out, uh, kind of an atom ball. I thought he was starting to swing the bat a little bit better. And he, his presence in their lineup just makes them a lot better. I also like Chaz Frank as an igniter at the top of their lineup. Agreed. He gets good pitching. Yep. Uh, he's probably their second-best position player, if you ask me. And even I mean, though he's not hitting uh, Tommy Coyle, like, in that six or seven spot, they're a little bit dangerous. They have yeah. some depth in their lineup. They have some depth on their bench. They can pinch hit, mix and match. I think North Carolina's depth is its biggest strength. I'm with you. But, but they also have a star in Moran. So I have them on that side of the bracket, and I have Florida on the other side of the bracket. I still have a couple of regionals, like individual regionals and super regionals, that I'm really iffy on, that Purdue one. Uh, even the LSU, when I want to really dive into the numbers on LSU and Oregon State, because the, the O-State ballers, yes, they ballin'. Uh And the one in Tallahassee, the Ta- Tallahassee Regional is a very tough one. But just my gut feel, I have Florida and North Carolina in that national championship kind of battle of the best bullpens in the country. Right. Um, and I think just, uh, you know, I think you have to pick Florida if that's the case. I mean, until proven otherwise, no one else has stepped forward to be that great team yet this year, Aaron. Even Florida uh, has not stepped forward, so... Uh, I guess I mean, maybe we should take the Gamecocks by default. I was about to say that maybe, the, maybe that, that was where I was just heading uh, with that line of reasoning. But to me, Florida's been the best team this year. Their peak has been the best peak of anybody's. I, I'm still picking the Gators. So I'm with you. I, I think that was, that was our preseason pick, and uh, we haven't exactly come off of that. That was Ben McDonald's pick on ESPNU today during the broadcast, and of course, uh, uh, Kyle Peterson picked Stanford, which I thought was uh, hilarious. Good for good for Kyle. Just you know, not worry about what anyone's going to say. Just make your pick. I don't blame him for picking Stanford. I still don't think Stanford has ever quite hit its stride. Um, I thought they were about to do. I thought they were doing it. Yeah. And they went and lost to, uh, to, Cal. to Cal, which was a little bit surprising. Exactly. They're, they're a weird team to figure, and I just think it's because you, they're not trustworthy on the mound for me. I think they're better. They're they're more they're more trustworthy than they were. They're closer to that. Right. Uh, and but you know what? And they also well, we're going off on tangents here, That's but okay. they also haven't really. Um, been the kind of offensive juggernaut that we thought they would be. That's very fair. That's not really that much of a tangent. They're a good offensive team. Kyle talked about yep. it on the show today about how they have 40-some home runs, and that's good. In today's college baseball, that's good. But they're not. And, and, and you know, their offense got better late in the year when they started playing Alex Plandino, and then Felix, uh, Felix Jose's son, Dominic, Dominic yeah. Jose, got in the lineup more. Their veterans have been pretty ordinary. I mean, Danny DeKroger, another guy that they put in the lineup and gotten a jolt that's from. That's right. He, Danny DeKroger with more home runs than Kane DeKroger. Yeah. Uh, Gaffney has been a complete bust this year. That guy was a real igniter and kind of a uh, a crapster. I can't think of another word <laughs> to say that, but that's what he is. You know, he was a, he got under people's skin. Chippy, yeah. He was very chippy. He was very chippy last year in the postseason, and he was pretty offensive, and he drew a lot of walks. And this year, he's just a complete zero. Complete non-factor offensive. What was he hitting? Two twenty-eight. He's hitting two forty-eight and slugging three forty-five. Yeah, that's just not getting it done. So the guys who we thought would get it done for them, Jake Stewart, who was off to a great start early, haven't ever been the same. Gaffney, DeKroger, 
Jake Stewart does have seven home runs, which I think is surprising. That is surprising. He has well, it's surprising in that he had done jack for two years. It's not surprising when you look at him. He's he's, sure. he's like Ronnie Cycli. He's built right. like a Greek goddess. Ronnie Cycli, nice. <laughs> so that's a Red Arback reference. One of I my like all-time it. favorite Red Arback references. But uh, any final thoughts for you, Aaron, on the just on the process of how we got here? I think we all agree. East Carolina ranked too high, yeah. uh, seated too high. Wake Forest should have been in. Michigan State kind of almost like an affirmative action choice, like undeserving uh, northern team that got in. Right, and, and, and Miami is the other thing. I mean, But that's it. Those are our talking points, and I think it's refreshing that, uh, again, well, this is the third straight year now. I feel like the committee has basically nailed it. I mean, uh, basically, you know. I mean, basically. Three years in a row, they've had 63 out of, out of my 64 teams. So, um, although, to be fair, this year I probably, if I were doing my own field, I wouldn't have had East Carolina in. Uh, I was I projected them to get in, but uh, there's a difference there. Last team I should have asked you about Utah Valley. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like Utah Valley had any case or not really? Oh, sure they had a case, um, but uh, you know when you play 44 games against teams outside the top 150, Ooh. and you win, you go 41 and three in those games, but then you play seven games against the top 50, and you go two and five. I mean, I just, you know, you're number 70 in the RPI, and you just don't play enough good teams. I mean, I, I feel I hate saying it. I'd love to see them get in. I think it's a great story. Yeah. Um, they won 32 in a row, 40 out of 41. It's incredible. And if I anybody. Wish I, I wish they, if basically like uh, talking to their coach, uh, to Coach uh, Madsen. Madsen, thank you. You know what I wanted to call him. Um, it just doesn't seem like they had any wiggle room at all uh, by being in that conference. And that's a school and an athletic department. I'm sure that they're doing it because I asked them about it. With all the conference realignment that's going on, Aaron, that's a school that if they want their baseball program to take advantage of some of this momentum, they got to find a home. Yeah. they got to find a home even if they were just are in the Summit League and they're replacing Oral Roberts in that league. or something. they got to go somewhere where they can be better than the Great West yep. because that league just – being in the same conference as New York Tech and Chicago State Southern just Utah. killed them. Yeah, Utah, uh, Southern, Southern Utah. Well, Southern Utah is getting rid of their program. This yeah. is the last – that program is now gone. But uh, – that was brutal, and there's just no way. No matter, we have no idea. The thing is, we have really no way of knowing how good Utah Valley really is. They played a ton of games on the road against decent teams early in the year, and they lost most of them, but they won a couple of them. Yeah, um, they had, I think, a win each against Arizona and Arizona State. I think so. They got swept by Fullerton, but you know and they were competitive. They were in that competitive. In that, that's right. They were competitive in that series. They, I think they won a game at Nevada, and they played Sacramento State, which ended up what, winning the WAC regular season or second in the WAC regular season. I think they were number yeah. two seed yeah, in the WAC. Were, right. So, I mean, uh, you know, they played pretty good teams, especially when you consider the geography. They just didn't quite win enough of those games. Kind of the same thing as Michigan State. But, if the, you know, if they were in a conference, yeah. that wasn't that they wasn't were in, the great If West. they were in any conference, John, you know, any mid-major conference. If they were in the Mountain West. Yes. With, if they were the sixth team in the Mountain West. You know, well, I just think if they were in the Mountain West, they would have finished near the top. I think they would have finished near the top in any any of the mid majors. Like third third place in the Mountain West. Get legitimately good, you know. I think they would have been third place in the Mountain West. I'll put them behind New Mexico and TCU, but not by much. Well, that's really it for the for the committee. They really would have just had to fa- dig on those regional on that regional committee they're talking yeah. about the coaches, yeah. who basically are supposed to give information to the members who are actually on the committee, and those guys would have had to say. Yes, Utah Valley is a legitimately talented team. Right. But, uh, a lot of veterans. That's why they uh, always should have had us on the committee. Uh, that, uh, I, was, uh, I, I was told that was uh, asked about 13 years ago and that it was met with a – what you talk about, Willis? <laughs> about having us in the room uh, because we could have helped with that. Uh, we could have been a one-man uh, – you, know, you could have been a one-man regional advisory committee 
on these uh, in terms of if they're going to really assess the talent of these teams. I don't even know that I like that approach. Yeah. You know. I, no, I agree. I mean, I, you know, and we say that as people who yeah. um, pay. We we make no bones about it. Early in the season, That's our rankings are based on projection. They're based on uh, what we consider to be a team's ability. And you right. know what? It works because look at Vanderbilt, John. That's right. Vanderbilt was ranked what ten in our preseason Something rankings like that, yeah. because of where we thought they would be at the end of the year. And when well, we said it, we said in the very beginning that this team could go through some struggles early, but at the end of the year, we think they're going to be good. We didn't think they'd be seven and fifteen. We thought they we thought they had enough pitching yeah. to do better than that. You're right. But no, we did think they were going to be a regional team and a. Omaha contender, and right now yeah. they are. And it doesn't always work. You know, we had Georgia ranked 11, <laughs> uh, and Texas that was in the top 15. But we didn't even mention Texas not getting in. I mean, no one, no one. There's no angst about Georgia and Auburn not getting in. Right. So the SEC's decision to expand to 10 teams for their tournament a year prematurely that didn't really help the league at all. Because those teams just didn't take care of business. I mean, if right. you're if you're in the SEC and you're outside the top 50 in the RPI, you just plain don't deserve to get in. It's so I mean, it's so easy to have a strong RPI in that league. Right, but but for Texas, that was a pretty disappointing year for the Longhorns. Yeah, a lot was. more was expected of them. You know, and and a they had injuries, uh, and and you know the two of their their big guns, one was injured, one was suspended on the mound, but you know, it's just plain not that good of a Texas team, and I think Texas fans know it, I haven't heard any, I haven't heard a peep from a Texas fan of outrage about them getting snubbed, I think they know it's not that good of a team, and they have higher standards at that program, uh, this, this this team has disappointed those fans a long time ago, they knew not to expect much, uh, they probably all feel like it doesn't deserve to get in, I mean, that's a testament to, you know, good fans, hey, you're, you're right. I agree. I didn't. I forgot. That. I thought we had Vanderbilt eighth preseason, but we had them tenth. Right. Um, in the preseason, Georgia eleven, Georgia Tech twelve, a team racked by injuries, but that finished strong. Not quite the same as Vanderbilt, but winning the conference tournament in the yeah. ACC. And they look darn good doing it. They did. They seem like they found some answers here mm-hmm. with Jake Davies uh, in his two-way role, pitching him a little bit more. Yeah. Zane Evans, another two-way jo- joker, a catcher, pitcher. Uh, with outside of Buck Farmer. And Alex Cruz, kind of their moment of and truth, Cole flexible Pitts. relief guy. And they really don't have anyone else to trust. You weren't that impressed with Cole Pitts. I've seen him before. Right. He's he's okay. He's an interesting right. arm for the future. Right. But Dusty Isaacs has been pretty up and down all year, better in a bullpen role, not not good enough to start. But without Matt Grimes, without Luke Barr, they really set them back. It took them a few weeks to find their way, but they do have an offensive potential. They have big left-handed bats and Palka and Davies. Zane Evans is a nice right-handed bat in the middle. That Brandon, Brandon Davis. Brandon Thomas, I'm sorry. I don't know why I said Davis. They have a table setter in Kyle Wren, who's really never gotten going this year. Yeah. But that that is a potentially interesting team. Texas was 13. We were a little light on UCLA at 14. That team's what, one or two in the RPI that goes yeah. in. Yeah. Probably no team that's been better in the second half. They've been so consistent. They have what, one series loss, I think, in the second half of the year. It's just been a really, really good team. TCU, again, a team that's in regionals and uh, had a nice year. Clemson, uh, that was also a, a TCU team really racked by injuries. Right. I'm just going over our preseason top 25. Arizona State finished kind of right up where we thought they would be. Mm-hmm. Miami, 18. You know, not quite really. They haven't been That's, quite that good. Hey, I mean, you know, if they got a host, that makes That's right. Uh, they probably are about number 18. You know, 18 yeah. to 20 range. That's what they are. We, we were a little light on Florida State, 20. That's That usually happens. Yep. Pro talent. Well, you know, you've got two freshman pitchers in the weekend rotation. It's a complete unknown. Great and that's point. A, it's a great job of the coaching staff to structure their pitching staff in a way that, that gets the most out of those guys. I mean, Mike Bell, you know, the first-year pitching coach there, has just done a terrific job. Completely agree. UCF at 21 preseason, outstanding. Ole Miss, 22, kind of right where they are. Oregon State, 23. They, they basically are who we thought they were. Louisville, 24. Fulton, 25. I mean... That's pretty much that's, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Omaha sleeper, 
Oh, <laughs> I'm hold you that have, you have to year. go there. How about College Player of the Year? You had Mike Zanino. I had Brian Johnson. I think right now we're going to leave it vacant. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is uh, wide there, open. there's absolutely no favorite for that. And Coach of the Year, well, we'll see. That's why we don't do our award until the postseason because what happens in the postseason matters. Yes, so. it does. Looking forward to the postseason, Aaron. You'll probably be, you think, I'll be out UCLA? west somewhere, either UCLA or Oregon. I'm, we'll figure that out logistically. We're going to have a lot of Baseball America jokers at, uh, at regionals. We'll have a freelancer at Stanford. I think we're going to probably have an intern in Columbia, South Carolina. We'll have North Carolina and North Carolina State's regionals covered. So we might have people at like five or six regionals, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. So, so look for all that. Look for another podcast this week from us. And, of course, tomorrow our draft top 500 drops. Prospects 201 to 500. Actually, I guess that's going to drop this afternoon, and the whole, all the reports will be online tomorrow. So, Aaron, write the rest of your reports on the flight, <laughs> and thanks for all the work you do, and great having you back in the nook. It's great to be back, Johnny. I guess I need to read this spot one last time uh, before I forget. Win every podcast, Johnny. I think, uh, I think that the fact that Tim Corbin just got the positive juju from us reading this every week, that's really the key behind the Commodores turning things around. Because this Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECsports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbett and more on ATECsports.com. ATEC, win every practice for Aaron Fit. I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.